So we have been talking about a series called Invisible God. And I really like this series because it's honest. It's an honest series that kind of acknowledges, look, um, you know, God isn't always just real easy to connect to, isn't he? It's honest in the sense of we can't see God. We can't um, touch God. We can't hear audibly from God all the time. Maybe ever. And so what we've been trying to talk through is how in the world do we actually practically connect to God? You know, some of us maybe have felt like, uh, maybe you felt even sometimes like an imposter. Like you come to church and everybody's saying, oh, I have this relationship with Jesus. And you're like, I, I don't relate to that. Never felt God, seen God, heard God. What we've been trying to do with this series is take some little steps along the way. This is not a simple thing, right? There's no magic wand to this. Man, if there was some formula that we could share up here on how you could easily connect to an invisible God, trust me, we'd be sharing it and so would everybody else. No, there's something more of a mystery about this. And so we've been trying to engage with that mystery of what does it look like to love God even though we can't see him. Uh, I want to give you some thoughts on that today. You know, we'll keep going for uh, another couple of weeks or so here. But here, here's, here's a story I want to start uh, with you on. A few weeks ago, I went on a backpacking trip. I told you about it a few weeks back even. But we went up to a range called the Wind River Mountains. It's up in Wyoming. Incredible area to go backpacking. And we showed up on August 27th. It was me and my buddy Phil, my buddy Dave, kind of my best fishing buddies. And we went in, and, uh, you know, this is late August. We're thinking the weather's going to be great. We show up, and it's like pouring rain very first morning, August 27th. Raining everywhere. We start hiking out on the trail, and it started snowing on us on August 27th. You know those little, like, corn snow pellets that you just get pelted with? All coming down. Here's the problem. Trail starts getting wet. So if some of you backpacked before, we have 12 miles to go. The end was super steep, and you get that big pack on your back, and every step you take, you just start sliding back down, and it feels like it doubles the distance. It's just, ugh. So on top of it, I made this huge mistake. I have these old hiking boots. I got them on today, and um, I, right before the trip, I was like, I don't want to wear these, and that's why. You know, there's, uh, you know they, got, they got issues, uh, and, and instead of just getting some glue, you know, and, or God forbid, buying a new pair. Um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try something new. So I threw on uh, Chris Lagadros, our middle school pastor, gave me some tennis shoes. I'm like, I'm going to wear these tennis shoes. I'm going I'm to go hiking in tennis shoes. So we go on this, you know, 12 miles one-way hike. And then we did a ton of off-trail work, hopping around on boulders. You guys, these tennis shoes were destroyed by the end. I mean, my feet are sticking out. But I'm, I'm in these things. We're doing river crossings. Oh, so the last night we hike out. I get back to the campsite, and I am literally walking around the campsite like this because I, I, I think I pulled something. Like, I can even feel it, like, when I do this. There's something going on right here. My buddies are like, man, you okay? I got back, and I told Karen, I just, I'm like, you can't believe how tough this was. I'm like, day after day, hour after hour, incredibly challenging, painful. You're just enduring pain. I was like, Karen, I think... The only thing I can think of that it really reminded me of, it reminded me a lot of childbirth. Um, I don't know why. She did not think that was a good illustration. Um, so 
I'm kidding. I am this relational, so, you know, I know not to go there. Uh, but, no, I, it was a real challenge. But you know what was so cool about it? This buddy, Phil and Dave, old buddies of mine, really old buddies, we hadn't really connected much in the months leading up to this. In fact, it was kind of just clear. It was weird. Like, we hadn't talked much. We hadn't, you know, been talking on the phone like we normally do, texting back and forth. Well, we go through this trip around something that we mutually love, right? It's all about catching fish, making a huge sacrifice around this. And ever since then, I mean, it's like every day, Phil and I are texting back and forth, Dave's chiming in, you know, last night it's 11 o'clock at night, and Phil's like, did you see that throw from Montez? You know, and it's just everything, the, the, the relationship somehow went to a totally different level. Here's the thing, have you noticed if you sacrifice with someone, there is a soul-level connection that happens because of it. Soul-level connections happen when we sacrifice together over something that we mutually care about. Anybody who's been on a football team knows this. Anybody who's ever served in the armed forces military, you would know this. Those are your brothers and sisters. Anybody who's practiced every night and every morning for weeks on end to prepare for some sort of performance, play, orchestra, whatever, you know the, the relationship that happens when you sacrifice over a sustained period of time with somebody, over something that matters, takes a relationship to a totally different level. I bring this up because a couple weeks ago we talked in here about different ways that we connect to God. We've all got a different way that we connect to God. Some of us connect to God, we go on a hike, we appreciate what we see, we're like, man, oh yeah, you know, you experience Jesus in that hike, or you, um, you sit down with your Bible, dark, early in the morning, you got a cup of coffee, and you just start reading something, like some of us connect that way. We talked about all the different ways that you can connect, and it just struck me, those are all great. Guys, you can spend a lifetime with your Bible in your hand and a cup of coffee and be disconnected to God because you're not engaging with him in sacrifice over what he cares about. There's no question. There's no question that the call to discipleship, which is a word that just means to follow someone or something, to follow Jesus means being drawn or called into sacrifice. And the beautiful thing is that that sacrifice also leads to a connection with an invisible God. We can play mental gymnastics forever, trying to figure out if we're connected to God or not. But often for some of us, it'll be once we actually sacrifice with him that you go, oh, now I see. Um, I want to I read you a passage this is, I think, one of Jesus' toughest sayings. If you're, if you're new to this, somebody just brought you today, you're brand new, I, I'm actually reading one of Jesus' hardest things that he ever said. And I just tell you before I read it, like, it freaks me out. <laughs> like, some of the stuff, I'm just like, whoa, I have so far to go. So if you're new to this, we're starting on, like, level 10. And, and it, it's a challenging word that Jesus talks about, but... There's an incredible invitation in this. I hope, I hope you'll see it. Uh, so here's, here's the background. Jesus has been traveling around. He's attracting crowds to listen to him. Phenomenal teacher. Doing miraculous things, healing people. People want to follow him. People want to hear from him. And he, at this kind of pivotal moment 
of what he's doing starts to say some things that uh, rile up some of his followers. Look at this. Look what, look what he says. Jesus began, this is from Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, and, and this is just a phrase that Jesus used to describe himself. Okay, so whenever you see the, word, or the phrase Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, that he himself, must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Now, it's interesting because right before this passage that I'm reading you is a passage where um, uh, Jesus asks his followers, who, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And Peter, who's one of his followers, says, you are the Messiah, the Holy One of God. You know, makes this incredible statement. Now, here's the thing. For, for people that had this idea that a Messiah was coming, they would have never expected that that Messiah would actually have to suffer. It, it would be like the superhero who goes through something just far beyond what you'd ever expect to have happen. This is, so, so they're looking at Jesus going, no, 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 you're the son of God. You don't have to suffer. And by the way, this is still true today. So many faiths would look at uh, the idea that God would actually suffer, would, would reduce himself to suffering and see that as heresy. And yet we're starting to see what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is central to how Jesus sees himself. That sacrifice is going to be Jesus' chosen way to move the kingdom of God forward. Wow. So he's telling people this, but they don't love it. Here's what he said. Here's what it keeps going in verse 32. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter, same guy who had just said a second ago, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter steps forward and reprimands him for saying such things. First of all, can you imagine reprimanding Jesus? <laughs> Peter gets up in Jesus' grill and is like, uh-uh. You're the son of God. You are not going to suffer. He, he's, he's up in his face. Peter has this idea that suffering does not, is, is beneath what Jesus would do. Now look at what Jesus does in verse 33. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. So, um, by the way, those of you who have parents, if you're, uh, let's say, uh, or sorry, have parents. Y'all have parents. Uh, I said that wrong. Those of you who are parents, if, um, if you're a parent and you've got kids and there's uh, one of them that you want to reprimand for something or say something to, and you look at them, but then you're looking at the other kids too, what are you saying? You're saying, y'all better listen to this because y'all are potentially thinking about doing this too. And so even though I'm reprimanding one, every single one of you is thinking this. That's what's happening in this passage. Jesus turns around. Peter's just the one who's brave enough to say it. But Jesus is saying to him, uh-uh. And he's looking at the other guys saying, I know you all think this. Now look at these words. Oh, my gosh, this is, this is harsh. Um, but, but see where he's going. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan. In other words, this is, this is about as deceptive a thing, Peter, as you can say. It would be as deceptive a thing a person can say that discipleship or that Jesus himself shouldn't suffer. 
It's according to Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. It is human to think that it's going to be all Bible and coffee. It's human to think that it's all going to be fun walks with Jesus. But Jesus is saying, if you want to connect to an invisible God, you're going to have to step into something that goes far beyond what maybe we've imagined before, into a realm of sacrifice that is a little scary and might surprise us. And then he doubles down. <laughs> Look at this next passage. This is verse 34. Then Jesus calls the crowd over. So it's not just you guys, disciples, followers now. Now I'm going to get everybody listening in. He calls a crowd over to join his disciples, and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Let me read that again. This is loaded. If any of you wants to be my follower, be my disciple, you must give up your own way. Another translation says you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Another translation adds daily. Daily take up your cross and follow me. By the way, if you're a new church just getting started and you preach that message, don't be surprised nobody comes the next week. Um, This shows the amazing commitment to authenticity and honesty that Jesus has. These are not easy words. Take up your cross and follow me. What's he talking about? You know, the first time I read this, I thought, I don't get this because to take up my cross and follow Jesus, hmm, well, why is he saying that? Because he hasn't died on a cross yet, so that's confusing. And what does he mean, take up my cross, deny myself, and follow him? You know, it's important for you to understand some of the context behind this, too. Uh, the Romans who controlled this whole area, the Romans were crucifying people all the time. Jesus wasn't the only guy who met his death on a cross. This was a real common thing that everybody would have been familiar with. And in case you don't know, it's just they take two beams, they put them together, they, they actually nail you there. You die of suffocation because you can't get enough air. And so you, you, that's how you die. I mean, brutal death on a cross. And so they would take criminals, they take the worst people, they take people they want to make examples of, and they would actually, first they'd beat them, And then the the practice was, and Jesus had to do this too. The practice was, once they're done beating you, they would actually take this huge wooden cross and they'd make you carry it. They'd make you carry your, you've just been beaten. They'd make you carry your own cross to the point where they stick it in the ground and then they kill you. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. Everybody would have known and and been able to picture this. But, But think of it this way. Can you imagine a more self-emptying, degrading loss of yourself than being forced to carry an instrument that somebody else is now going to kill you with. I mean, you are gone. That is the end of life when that happens. And Jesus is using this as an illustration of what it means to follow him. Man, does that freak anybody else out? That's an, that's an intimidating, that's a high bar. I read that and go, oh man, I, ooh, am I 
denying myself and picking up my cross and following Jesus, that, do I deny myself to that degree? Yikes. Uh, there's a guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you real familiar with him. He was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And he was like public enemy number one because he uh, spoke out against Hitler and against the Nazis. He saw what was going on and he was, it was just clear to him, this is not of God. And he started speaking against it when so many other people didn't. Uh, Bonhoeffer did. And so he was arrested. And, and what's so cool about Bonhoeffer, this is not your average pastor. Some, of his, some people think that he actually was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. How cool is that? I mean, come on, that, that's, a, not your, that's not a normal pastor right there. And so he, he's a part of this plot. He gets arrested. He, he gets put into a prison camp. And we think, you want to talk about somebody that understands sacrifice, holy cow. We think that about two or three weeks before the camp was liberated that he was killed. And so uh, all we have left are some of the things that he wrote. One of them is called The Cost of Discipleship. Okay, he's, he's qualified to write this book, The Cost of Discipleship. He lived this out. He, he makes a um, comment about this passage. And I, w- I want you to see this comment that he makes. Again, this is from somebody that has lived this. He says this. He says, Jesus must therefore make it clear beyond all doubt that the must of suffering applies to his disciples no less than to himself. In other words, it would be kind of weird to think that we can follow Jesus and not actually experience some of the things that Jesus experienced. That's what he's saying. If Jesus suffered and we're going to follow him, it's probably going to be true for us as well. Just as Christ is Christ only in the virtue of his suffering and rejection, so the disciple is a disciple only insofar as he shares his Lord's suffering and rejection and crucifixion. Discipleship means adherence to the person of Jesus and therefore submission to the law of Christ, which is the law of the cross. Wow. Guys, if we start to walk down this road, I think we'll start to see, though, as challenging as it sounds, that we will start to connect to the invisible God in a way that we would have never imagined. I want to give you a starting point. I think this is super heavy. Heavy, heavy teaching. I want to, I want to give you a starting point, though, of just where, okay, if I'm, if I'm interested in this, where would I start and why? Um, I want you to think about it this way. Think about, have you ever thought about the difference between your values and your wants, values and wants. And, and often, what you value and what you want will come into conflict with each other. So uh, let, me, let me give you a real simple explanation. Here's how it comes into conflict for me. What I want is to eat dessert every night. I really want that, and I'll tell you exactly what I want. I want to go to the Boulder Good Times, and I want to go through the drive-thru, and I want to order the biggest caramel toffee crunch spoon bender that they have on the menu. It's like $8 or something. It's crazy, but it's like this big. Have, have you had that? Oh, maybe not today, but I, it's a little too cold. Go down there. Go down. Get a caramel toffee crunch spoon bender. Do not go to the Good Times in Lafayette. They don't put as much heath into it. You've <laughs> got to go to the one in Boulder and buy that spoon bender. Amazing stuff. I'm telling you right now, 
I would crush that thousand calories every single night. I want that. I want dessert every night. Here's the problem. That want conflicts with a value of mine. I have a value that I'd like to live past the age of 60. Okay? That's a big value of mine. I would love to see like my grandkids. I would love to go hiking in the Wind River Mountains well into my 60s. Who knows? Maybe my 70s. I have a value for personal health that keeps me from having a spoon bender every single night. But sometimes my wants beat my value. And every single day, you know this, there's a battle going on today over which will you choose, your wants or your values. And you, you, you see it all the time. You may want to uh, hop on Facebook or Instagram and spend three hours there. That, that might be exactly what you want to do. But maybe you have a value of connecting with people face-to-face, relationship with friends or family. Which one wins? Is it your value that wins? Or is it the, your wants that win? This is so true of our life with God. I mean, we know this, right? Man, I'll give you an example. All of us know what it feels like to be angry with someone. Every single one of us in here knows what it's like to harbor a bitterness towards somebody. And, and we know, too, it can kind of feel good, right? We, we want to keep that anger burning. Sometimes when I get angry, there's just something, about, I don't know what it is, a dopamine or what, but something's keeping me going and I want to harbor anger toward another person. But we know that Jesus values reconciliation. He values peace between you and that person. And any time that a person decides, you know what, I'm going to give up my want and I am going to choose to follow what Jesus values instead, in that moment you have taken up your cross. In that moment you have denied yourself. In that moment you have moved toward what Jesus is talking about with discipleship. We are sacrificing what is in us, and we are moving toward what Jesus values in the world around us. I want to ask you to do something. Here's a, here's a starting point with this. If we're going to move our wants, what we want to do is move our wants toward what Jesus values. If we're going to do that, we've got to understand what Jesus values. Okay? I'll tell you one thing. You read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want to encourage you to do that, whether you've done it a million times or not, whether you're first time. Get in the Gospels, even this week. Read a chapter a day, or maybe just sit down and read the whole thing. All at once. Get out a little notebook. When you see Jesus say something or when you see him do something, make a little note that just says, here's what he values. By the fact that he did this means he values this. And just write a little note. And and you might be surprised at some of the things that you're going to find that Jesus values. Go through, write down his values, and then start to ask yourself, are, are Jesus' values the same as my values? Or, or are we missing each other? Guys, here's the goal of life. <laughs> the goal of a disciple is to more and more see the things that you want become what Jesus values. And, and we will come into conflict with it every single day. Some of you guys, um, we have a lot of people in this church that are young life leaders, work with middle and high school kids. 
or a lot of people in this church who work with middle and high school kids through the uh, ministry here at Ascent. And, you know, we may, we may want on a Thursday afternoon when that seventh grader that you know has asked you to come to their game because they value that relationship with you. And it's Thursday afternoon and you're like, nothing sounds better to me than five straight hours of Fortnite. And, and, and instead of playing Fortnite, you go out to that school and you see that kid's game. And you walk onto that kid's turf and that kid goes, oh my gosh, this, this leader actually really loves me. You are walking in the foot of Jesus when you do that. You have taken up your cross. You have denied yourself. And you are following him. For somebody that, man, I, I got to tell you, what I want to do, I want to spend money on me. That's my favorite thing to spend money on. I love spending money on me. I love new fly rods and new, just give me stuff. Let me go on trips. I want to go back to the winds tomorrow. I, I love it. And, and for somebody that chooses to take their money and give it to somebody in Florida that needs a new home. And you have taken up your cross. You've taken up your cross of what you want and you have seen what Jesus values and you're following that. Now, here's the thing. The beautiful thing is that God has something wonderful in store for this because you could look at this and think, well, that life sucks. That really my whole life now comes down to I have to get rid of everything I want to do and instead just do what Jesus does grudgingly. That sounds miserable. Look at the last thing Jesus says in this little passage here in verse 35. It says, if you try to hang on to your life. So he said all this about taking up your cross. And then he finishes it by saying, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. What a paradox. What, what irony, right? If you, by trying to hang on to what you want, you'll lose your life. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You will find it. Guys, one of the beautiful things about God, thank God for this, is that the key that Jesus does when you work day after day to say, I want to follow you and your values, Jesus. I want, instead of my wants to win out, I want to do what you want to do. You know what God does that is so beautiful? And man, this has happened like this much in my life. I'm 45 and I'm hoping for this much. But I'm right here with this. What God does is he says, there's no more verses. It's not values against my wants. It, it, he replaces it with an equal sign. His, his values now become what you actually want to do. Because that is an integrated person. That is a mature follower of Christ. When what you want to do has now molded into what Jesus values, that is when you have taken up your cross and you have decided to follow him fully. And it is a lifetime of work to get there. Some of you guys, um, you know somebody. You know somebody, let's say they're 80s, 90s, whatever. They've gone to church their whole lives. They've been around this. They've heard a million talks. Ugh. And there's something about them that you go, man, they're just not happy. They, they're, they're grouchy. How could you be around church your entire life? How could, how could you be a Christian your entire life? 
and, and die in your 80s and 90s, grouchy and sad. We've all seen this. God, I hope that doesn't end up being me. I, I honestly think that is somebody who their wants, they, they, they tried to hold on to their wants, and they may have even tried to do what Jesus values, but it was always in a grudging way. And all that does is lead toward bitterness. And the contrast is every one of us hopefully knows somebody you've seen, 80s or 90s, who's lived life with Jesus the best they can, who has unbelievable grace. You know that person? Think of that person. Just that, that person that you know that you're like, wow. The beautiful thing is their values and their wants have become the same thing. That what Jesus values and what they want, it is integrated, it is whole. If you ever hear the term spiritual formation of our, of our souls being formed, that's a picture of it. Trying to mold what we want into what Jesus values. That's what it means to take up our cross and follow him. Guys, I'm, uh, there is no greater vision for your life than this. There's a million competing visions for your life out there. There's a ton of things you could follow. Is there anything better than this? Man, I just, I pray for myself <laughs> that when I'm old and gray and me and Bill are up here with canes baptizing people, that, that you'll be able to look at me and say, man, he, he took up his cross. And would people say that of you? One of the most overlooked words that Jesus says in that passage is, you remember what he said at the beginning? He says, if, if anyone would follow me. You realize what a gift that word if is? That's Jesus saying, I'm not going to force you. There's no forcing going on here. The gift of the freedom of choice to move toward this. Man, will you choose it today? God, help us. Uh, so easy to scratch out on a flip chart and so difficult to do. I pray today for our church and every person in this room as um, people that are just struggling on our way that you would give us the courage and the ability to see our wants and your values meld together. Would you allow us, God, by your spirit to become new people, to become integrated people, become people that love you and would be willing to take up our cross and follow you. God, when we do that, we know we will connect to you in a way that far exceeds what we can imagine. Um, Pray that you'd give me a little glimpse of that in my life today, and I pray that for my brothers and sisters here as well. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, let's sing one last song. Go ahead and stand up, and let's do it.